Blog Talk Radio. Hey, John. Hi there. Sorry, my phone wouldn't dial out. I've been trying to call for like a minute. And then I turned my phone off. Welcome to Night Shadows. I'm Stuart Best. Where the paranormal is normal. Where that which you thought you knew, you didn't. And where the future can be known, if you know exactly where to look. Well, good evening, everyone. Thanks for tuning in and listening. And we have the pleasure of having John uh, Van Deventer on with us tonight, along with uh, Larry. John, are you with us? Yes, sir. I'm here. Okay, Larry. Hello, guys, and good to hear from you, John. Yeah, barely what? got in there. For some reason, my phone wouldn't dial out. Well, that's... We have everybody's having phone problems of one type or another. Doesn't surprise me. And uh, I think maybe though to start with, before we get onto your relics and and all of that paranormal, we should visit what's going on over in the uh, new world order war that is now basically out in the open because. Uh, the State Department spokesman, this is an order that it would be profoundly illiberal. It is an order that, in many ways, destructive rather than additive. And he's talking about Russia and China also want the new world order. They want to rule it. And, of course, this is what happens. Everybody wants to rule the, the new world order. The New Agers want to rule it. Uh, the... Uh, Pope and the Vatican, the Jesuits, they want to rule it. Masonry wants to rule it. And on and on and on it goes. Uh, so at least there's an admission that everybody said we were nuts when we talked about the new world order. Well, there is no such thing. That's ridiculous. Blah, 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 blah. They all went. Well, now they're having to admit it because it's right out in the open. And uh, we already know what the outcome is. China is going to run it because China is and has been the model of the new world order for years. And uh, that's not changed any, nor will it. Uh, The uh, fourth beast of Tanya, United Nations, basically, is a Chinese operation. The World Health Organization, Chinese operation, on and on it goes. People just don't believe it. Well, that's their problem. That's not our problem. Uh, What do you think, John, about this uh, war that's going on over there? Well, personally, um, you know, there's always been issues with Russia and Ukraine. And it it is so hard for me to, to see anything anymore and not think, that it's been pre-planned or or we're not getting the full story. I mean, look at look at once Biden took office, he shut down the the pipeline and then we're buying oil from Russia. Now we're going to put sanctions on Russia because of what they're doing in the Ukraine, which, you know, I agree with. They they shouldn't be in there. But what do you think Boris is going to do? He's going to turn around and shut off the oil we've been buying from Russia, which is ridiculous when we could be supplying our own oil. 
But like you, I kind of think the key to the thing is nobody's really watching what's going on with China and Taiwan. Nobody's really paying attention to what China's doing. So um, it's just everything you look at on the television, to me anymore, is just red herring city. They get you looking one way, and you're not looking at what's going on somewhere else. Yeah. But, uh, you know, there's there's always been wars in Europe. And you know the Ukraine is so rich in, in uh, natural resources. Well, you know you know Russia wants that. You you know that uh, you know at one time when they had the Soviet Union, they didn't have to worry about things like this. So I don't know. Um, I still <laughs> it just baffles me how we're dependent on Russian oil now. It baffles me how Hillary Clinton was able to sell Russia uranium. And she's still walking around free. So um, you, you really, you're not going to convince me that people in power didn't see this thing coming years ago or helped uh, implement it. Yeah, it's scripted. The whole thing is scripted. And uh, yes. they're, they're just playing it. They're just playing the script. It's a very fluid script because you can't always tell which way a war is going to go. You may think you do. But you can't always tell. So they're just very fluid with it, and they have adjustments they make in their script. But the ultimate goal, of course, is this new world order. And uh, we're heading into trouble, big-time trouble, I guess. Larry, what's the latest you've got? Well, the latest is, uh, (laughs) uh, and and to go along with what John said a little bit, uh, here's what uh, a foreign correspondent, Ben Harwell, Hardwell said on the war room with uh, Steve Bannon this morning, listen to this, this is information he released. He said Joe Biden and Boris Johnson are pushing to remove Russia from SWIFT, financial group. Says, but mm-hmm. EU, the EU will not go that far. Putin says removal of Russia from SWIFT would be an act of war, and Russia will respond accordingly. And Europe has no will to try and fight Russia. <laughs> yeah. I think we're heading into something here. Ukraine War Day 2. This is my Hal Turner. NATO sending lethal aid into Ukraine by convoy. Now, this brings NATO. That brings Europe into the war. But that also brings the United States into the war. So... Are we, again, trying to provoke uh, Putin? They want their world war. I mean, there's no question that uh, they they want their new world order war so that they can bring it in. And under the, you know, uh, from the ashes of, uh, I guess, a worldwide nuclear conflagration. Uh, But this sounds very interesting now that NATO is literally now. Have they crossed the border into Ukraine already? Do you know? Well, well, I don't. I don't know that you're going to find that out. Uh, everything's classified. I mean, you'd have to have your own satellite to look for the <laughs> for that to be happening. Uh, there are rumors. There are reports uh, through Hal Turner that uh, some have crossed the border. And they're convoying uh, the Ukrainian army and the Ukrainian fighters lethal weapons, which, according to the information I read, uh, include uh, missiles. 
Now, this is kind of, and I'd you know, like you guys' opinions on this, whether to see whether maybe Putin responded or not. Here's what happened this evening after the incident you just read. And by the way, there's 40,000 NATO troops, according to Koenig's International News and uh, American Military News and others, that are headed to the Russian border. They're moving down towards Estonia, which is a, is a border right on the Russian border. And uh, now this just came out a while ago, and I, I called you, Sturt, and told you, but uh, this is for subscribers only, covert intel. Listen to this headline, and I saw the photographs, videos, and still shots. Nuclear ICBMs now out in public and moving on Russian roads to the countryside. Road launch Topol M ICBMs with the 800-kilogram I believe it is uh, nuclear warheads and 10,000-kilometer range. And I'm not sure whether that's that, the one they call Satan in Russia. I think it is. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. And anyway, and, and Russia's uh, foreign ministry released this tonight, this warning. This came out tonight. Russia is approaching the point with the U.S. of absolutely no return. Wow. Man, that's what spooky. You think, John? You know what? What is? Um, what did you say? Forty thousand NATO troops moving into the area. That's um, the information I'm getting. Yeah, forty thousand are moving down. They've activated the uh, the uh, NATO uh, quick reaction forces and the other four and the forty thousand moving down into Estonia towards the Russian border. Of course, that puts them right in the region, also with Poland and Ukraine and that that area. Belarus. Well, you know, Larry, I know I know you're a veteran. I'm a veteran. I'm the father of two combat veterans, and I would never belittle the United States military, no. But 40,000, that's a mix of NATO troops. And you're talking against Russia, who has manpower coming out their ears. You know, Larry, when we were in, it was always, uh, I remember, we tried to out-quality Russia's quantity. But, you know, there, there's an old Russian saying that uh, quantity has a quality all its own. And I just don't see where 40,000 troops is going to do anything with, you know, an army the size Russia has. Now, yeah, I know they've got their borders to protect and they got other interests. And maybe to them this is a theater-only action and they may not have it, you know. I'm sure they don't have their entire military deployed on the Ukraine, but still – 40,000 just seems like a drop in the bucket and just something that's going to escalate things instead of make them better. That, but that's my opinion, and I'm just a guy up in the hills of Oklahoma, so take it for what it's worth. Well, I think that's uh, absolutely right, though. I think that what they're trying to do is they're trying to force a war. This is one way to do it. If, if, if in fact, NATO has already sent convoys across the border, uh, that, that's an act of war, actually. And that would bring NATO, which is Europe, and the United States into this thing, which is probably what they want. Uh, here's a headline from Alex Jones. Red alert, planet Earth on verge of massive nuclear war. Putin calls sanctions act of war vows to respond with force the west has raised the stakes by claiming any cyber attacks would trigger article 5 of nato 
resulting in full-scale war involving all NATO members. However, Putin is claiming the sanctions against Russia are also an act of war. The entire crisis has now escalated. Both sides are on the edge of launching a world war. So there you go. It, it appears you to know, me where, like... Where, yeah. where are the statesmen nowadays? I mean, okay, I can see there's things in Ukraine Russia wants, but how come there's no other way to get there? How, how come there's no other way? There's no trade. There's... Um, I guess, you know, I'm really not that familiar between the, with the animosity between Russia and Ukraine. I know it's probably always been there. But this just seems like such a such a waste of life and and um equipment and treasure and everything to start something this big over over these uh, natural resources that they could get in trade. My goodness, we're getting oil from them. Why can't Russia find something to trade to the Ukraine where they can get get back some of the minerals and some of the things they want, some of the resources? I just don't see how all of this qualifies needing a world war. Obviously, Russia's not hurting enough where they can't attack another country because they're doing it right now. Yes. So, yeah, there's more behind this than than we're being told. I really believe that. Oh, well, yeah. I think, I think, Stuart, I think to go along with what uh, uh, John said, uh, really, and what he said was good, uh, I think what is in the background that we might be missing a little bit behind the curtain is you remember how a lot of people that have followed history says that really all of our wars are energy wars. In other words, it's over gas and oil and, as John was saying, rare minerals and, and all of these things. And if you'll remember uh, when the uh, Clintons, Obama, and Biden, they have, for the last 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years, they have been attacking and trying to take away from Russia all the pipelines Russia's trying to build to Europe and, and across Ukraine, by the way, and also uh, some of the other countries. And Russia also has uh, oil pipelines, if you'll remember, that they that, working up in Syria. Now, that's another location that there's, a, there's almost a war going on there uh, between Israel and Iran and the U.S. and Russia and the Syrians. They're fighting over uh, the same, you know, it's almost like a, uh, as they call it, an energy war. What do you think, Stuart? Well, yeah, most wars are either over energy or they're over monetary uh, concepts. Like, Russia really is leaving the uh, dollar oil reserve, you know, that's pegged to the U.S. dollar, and that is disintegrating. And uh, this may be why they are are doing what they're doing. Also, I do believe this is a battle for the new to who's going to run the new world order. And uh, the West has long said, "Well, we're going to be the ones." But I can remember even years ago. Both Russia and China said, well, what gives you the right to declare you're going to run the new world order? What about us? And uh, we do know a new world order is coming. We also know, however, that most of this is being stirred up by the demonic forces of the world in a great, huge humanitarian culling operation is now in progress with the jab, 
millions are dying with the jab. Millions are in uh, horrible pain and having awful side effects, which will eventually probably lead to their death, depending on which uh, batch of uh, jab they, they took uh, or were forced to take. And uh, on and on and on it goes. So if you look at the real big picture, like James says, you just war, you just fight because you have not, you have not because you ask not, and, you, and when you do ask, you ask amiss, and so God's not going to do it and uh, for you. So we fight, we war, and we tear each other apart, and humanity is just, that's what they do. They're just a bunch of tribal, uh, basically idiots that have never grown up. We're like uh, two babies in a, or three babies in a playpen arguing over the little toys. And uh, <laughs> that's about where we're at. Here's another headline. Furious Putin prepares for the use of farther of all bombs as brave Ukrainians hold up advance. West warns Russia could use terror weapon that vaporizes bodies alongside a massive amphibious assault as invaders run into fierce resistance in Kiev. Uh, so I think really maybe Putin didn't expect the kind of resistance he's getting. What do you think? That could get really nasty real quick. What do you guys well, think about that? Well, it's kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of interesting that, and I was kind of surprised by the headlines today, uh, and it's coming from several sources, Hal Turner included, that uh, at least 10,000 or more Chechen paratroopers are being brought into the Ukraine. They're crossing into the Ukraine, I guess, in the last few hours with thousands behind them. So here's here's a country, Russia, that has literally fought Chechnya, if you'll remember back a ways, and now yeah. they're allies and attacking Ukraine and and that region basically. But there's a lot of Chechens to be coming into the to the fray, if you will. Yeah, just looks like it keeps expanding, one after another. Little headline here, little headline there. This outfit's getting involved now, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That's how this thing expands. Uh, yeah. Here's another headline: Putin threatens bloodbath if country resists Russian forces. So he's really threatening to just run them over if they don't surrender. Uh, so anyway, there you go. What do you think, John, after all this? We, are we headed to a world war? It sure looks that way. Um, you know, I don't want to be the one to say it, but um, it, it's, it's amazing. You, uh, Right now, this week, you can turn on and watch the news, and the world's a lot scarier place than any book or movie or anything else you can invest your time in. So, uh, yeah, this is like a, the new Russian or the new Cuban Missile Crisis. It just has that feeling, you know. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm very concerned about what's going on. I'm I'm praying for uh, praying for peace, but you know, at the same time, you you've got to wonder how far are they going to push this thing? How far does it need to be pushed? Um, and I'm sure if you're an average Ukrainian, 
who's sitting down in the subway station tonight down in the tubes to uh, avoid the bullets and the bombs, you want somebody to come help. You need somebody to come help. You're praying for other countries to come help. But yeah, it's just, are we going to destroy the world doing it? I mean, it, it's it's a scary time in history right now. Yeah, it really is, particularly with the biblical prophecies of uh, yes. world war, you know. Uh, so we're coming up on a timeline that is really getting kind of scary for most folks, and it should. Uh, so it's just amazing. You know, any any for, month now we could be like we could be like those Ukrainians. We could, you know, we could be out in the streets or in the hills fighting, you know, who knows who. I mean, it's just, it's like, it's like the whole world's on a greased lead sled going down a mountain right now and there's no brakes. Yes. Yeah, I think so. What do you think, Larry? I think that we will be invaded. I don't think there's any question about it. Well, uh, prophetically, prophetically, we, we will. I personally... I really would like to see a pause just long enough for, uh, you know, God's people to do what they need to do and bring as many in as they can in a short window. Because I wrote that uh, that uh, uh, piece, you know, well, I wrote two. I wrote one, God's Prehistoric Rapture, and nobody wanted to read it. But then the other <laughs> one I wrote that I thought was really good was uh, – you know the one the vision of the door and at the last minute during the as the storm was almost upon the world there was a influx of grain into the garner and, and I, I really believe that now i know a lot of people expect to be taken off the earth just any time now but uh i would like to see a pause and for a little grain to come in but if that can't happen it can't happen i don't know I, matter of fact uh you know john and i in this area, you know, we've been iced in for a number of days now, and actually in all this going down, even though I follow it on the Internet, I'd like to, for people to forget where Oklahoma is. <laughs> well, that's probably a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I've, um, had that, I've had that opinion for a couple of years now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be good. Just, you know, you vanished into the wilderness. <laughs> Uh, let's go into your book number two, and I understand, John, you've got, is it going to be Relics 3 and 4? Yes, I'm working on Relics 3 right now, and 4 is going to be uh, right on its heels. Yeah, well, um, you know, I was going to, Relics 3 was originally going to be taking place in Antarctica, but I've push that back to book four because Larry found, you know, has been telling me about all this great stuff down around Evener, Oklahoma. So uh, yes. there's quite a little mystery down there to investigate. And, and if you're a fiction writer, man, you start hearing that stuff and it just takes off with your brain and you can come up with all kinds of, kinds of good um, material to add to it and make it interesting or I hope to make it interesting anyway. But, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, Relics 2 just came out back in December, and uh, it's done pretty good, and I've had some good reviews on it. And um, I was I was never a Bigfoot guy. I uh, kind of got in the Bigfoot thing by accident. And um, if I was interested in the paranormal, it was always UFOs when I was younger. So I managed to uh, 
kind of um, mesh in the UFO subject with the uh, Bigfoot subject, and you know, and and it's going to be used to go to other places, the Nephilim, the Giants, what's going on in Antarctica. Um, you know, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts, reading a lot of, of stuff um, to get ready for the next two books. And I mm-hmm. just keep finding so much material. It, it is so hard to just, like, you. sometimes you just got to slam on the brake and say, okay, I'm using this. I've got to ignore this. Something I found really interesting, Larry was telling me about. Uh, Larry, you, can you tell the story about the uh, coal mine stuff in uh, in the area around Hevener? You seem more familiar yeah. with it than me. Yeah, that's that's really really interesting because uh, a number of years ago when I first came, I actually moved uh, from Texas to uh, Oklahoma, got married, stayed in Oklahoma, went back to Texas and came back to Oklahoma, and then uh, I <laughs> I uh, and I've been in law enforcement like thirty five plus almost forty years, and so I was familiar with the areas too, and I wound up in Mena, Arkansas, and so I became really interested and i was also doing some uh, intercession spiritual warfare stuff stuff like that you know the far out kind of stuff and uh and had a lot of ufo experiences which Stuart's uh, familiar with most of those but anyway when i was in the mena area i became acquainted with poto oklahoma and hevener oklahoma and you know the mountains you know and us all whole, this region and oddly enough uh when I was in Mena, they had a shop there, and I'm not going to name the shop, but it was a shop that sold trinkets and a uh, number of Indian artifacts and things like that. But when I was there, and if you'll remember, Stuart, Stuart you remember when I sent you some uh, petrified stuff out of a cave? Yes. Uh, anyway, yeah, anyway, at that place, I found out that someone had broke in to coal mine number five. That's the name of it. If, if you actually Google it or look it up, in Hevener, Oklahoma, back in the 20s. And then uh, it, the, the story came out. I even talked to one of the relatives, this, this uh, guy that was working there, that when they dug down in this coal mine, uh, they actually found a wall to start with, polished walls, and then they dug and found buildings. And they said they found other things, and then suddenly, uh, I guess it was uh, the right kind of people moved in and shut the mine down and moved these people out and flooded it. Uh, it was stuff they wasn't supposed to find. It was, And, Stuart, you're familiar with that, and I know John yeah. probably is, too, that concept. Yeah. And anyway, when they flooded it, uh, they, put a, uh, they built an actual originally – and none of this information, by the way, came out of Hevener, the city of Hevener. When I went down there to start investigating, they didn't know what I was talking about. And the only thing they could tell me was they thought there was a runestone up on one of the mountains. But they, were, they wouldn't talk. People wouldn't talk. And, Stuart, we actually had uh, Tom Mack, Professor Tom Mack, on the, the show with us a few times. You know, And he talked about the strangest area he ever saw. But anyway, mm-hmm. when I was in Mena... I found that someone had broke into this building that they built over this coal mine number five and was going down in that coal mine and finding plants and and all kind of stuff, rocks, fossilized things, uh, all kinds. And and so I bought some of them, and, you know, I mailed you some of it, Stuart, from that place. Well, 
what I didn't know was that they they put surveillance on that thing with satellites and uh, all this kind of thing. I found that out later when I took images of the building. I sent you a copy of that, John, of what the building looked like. Yeah, you did. And anyway, well, the guy got caught. And I went back to try to see if, he had, if uh, this place had any more trinkets, and they said they had never had any and hadn't sold nobody any. And I said, well, you stole me a bunch of it. And they said, oh, no. I said, I can't even talk about that anymore. So that thing got shut up big time. But it never negated. And I talked to the son of one of the men working in the coal mine, and Uparts actually had a real good story, and some of the others had uh, stories of that. And uh, some of historians knew about it. And uh, I researched it for a few years there and, and actually uh, studied it out. But there's walls underground in those coal mines. There's, there's buildings. There's other things they said they found but won't talk about. And whether the Smithsonian has some of that now, I don't know. But, boy, they shut that dude down and closed the whole mine and flooded it and tried to make it all go away. But I talked to a guy that was a good friend with, a, with someone that in the history called Apache Jim, and he was actually an Apache. He was a treasure hunter, and people have treasure hunted the mountains around, uh, you know, Arkansas and Oklahoma for years, you know, Robbers Cave and all these places, and uh, he said that he had been where the runestone is before they blowed up both entrances. He went down in the caverns there in caves, and he said it, he could get he could glean silver. It was like a silver mine down in there. He could get silver. And he said the walls were covered with some kind of hieroglyphic writing that he flat didn't understand. Of course, nobody seems to know what's on the runestone uh, at Hevener. And I know, John, you want to mention what you, a concept you kind of came up with about well, that writing on the runestone? Right. Well, as I was saying in book two, um, I started going into UFO stuff and trying it in with the Bigfoot stuff in Oklahoma. And one of the... Uh, ways I did it was uh, with um, Operation High Jump in 1947 when Admiral Byrd went down to the uh, Antarctic and took the USS Philippine Sea aircraft carrier in a battle group. And um, Now, you can find reports that nothing happened, and you can find reports where a lot of things happened, so I, I kind of split the difference in the two. But the thing of it is, it seems to be that the Nazis were really interested in Antarctica, and uh, Hitler sent quite a few uh, excursion groups down there. And Hitler, he turned against them later on as the war progressed. He kind of turned against the uh, the occult people that were um, that he had befriended, or he really thought highly of quite a few occult people. And one of the groups was called the Vril Society. Now, they came about because of a of a novel. I think it was written in the early 1900s, like 1905. But um, they were – they believed that there was a race of reptilians that were underground in Antarctica. And so without going too much because it's going to be in another book. But um, so I was – I kind of started taking the – the books that way and i started looking at these rooms from the real society they used rooms and i noticed they were similar almost exactly like the, what supposedly viking rooms in uh Hebner, oklahoma now you've seen them haven't you larry i think you've been down there i've been down there a couple of times 
Oh, and, yeah, I've uh, been multiple times, yeah. Yeah, and, I'm, you know, I'm looking at these runes, and I'm matching them against the uh, Vril runes. Now, I don't know. Maybe the Vril Society used the same ancient runes as other folks or what, but I thought it was – well, you know, it just – it just started making my author's head, the wheels spin and the gears turn. I'm thinking, well, heck, man, that's that's real looking stuff. I can tie that into a book, you know. And you told me about the uh, the underground stuff there, and I, you know, and there is so much talk of things underground. Um, without jumping all over the place, I was listening to Joe Rogan interview Bob Lazar yesterday, and are you guys familiar with Bob Lazar? Oh yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, you know, he supposedly was working on this UFO at Area 51. I guess it was the 80s. Um, and so Rogan asked him, he said, what they have, like nine of them in there? But the one he was working on, he asked him, he said, did they ever tell you where these came from? And he, you know, he talked about some, they thought they came from, I forget which uh, constellation or whatever, but he said oh, the one he was sorry. working on was actually discovered in an archaeological dig. They're digging for prehistoric man or, you know, um, Egyptian stuff, and, and they find a UFO buried underground. So, you know, that really makes your brain take off. And then you had the, uh, you know, the Nazi stuff and what happened to Hitler and um, – there's just there's just so much interesting stuff. You don't know what's true. You don't know what isn't true. But um, it's just great stuff for writing. Uh, one thing I wanted to touch upon: Have you guys have you heard of the Nazi bell? Oh yeah. Or Dagaka? Yep. yep. Yes. Yes. Okay. Have you heard of the Kecksburg UFO in 1965? Yep. They think maybe that was one of those bells. Yeah, the, like. the descriptions are similar, kind of bell-shaped or or yep. acorn-shaped, and then hieroglyphics on the uh, or runes on on the on the belt of it at the bottom. Um, mm -hmm. Have you ever heard of John Murphy when it comes to the Kecksburg thing that happened? Oh, I thought this okay. was real interesting. Supposedly he had a, he was there. He'd gotten down there and gotten some pictures the night the thing landed. And I always thought how suspicious it was that they said it was a meteor and they were able to have, to have such a quick um, military response to that to that crash. <laughs> I mean, they were like right on top of it. And um, supposedly he had some pictures of it, and he worked for – he had his own show. What was the radio station? I got it written down here. Um, WHJB. Radio, and I don't know where, if that was maybe a local station in that area or in a bigger city. But he was going to run a special show on what he'd found, what he'd seen, photos he had taken, interviews he'd gotten with people down there the night of that, and then, you know, before the military came in and took everything out. And he got visitors. He got two visitors, and guess what they were? Men in black. <laughs> Yep. And, yeah, they came in, they threatened him um, and told him he didn't need to do the show, and they took a lot of his uh, evidence and stuff he had. So he ended up doing the show anyway, but it was, really, it was really watered down, and basically he just said it was a bunch of nothing when he had been talking for days about how much information he had, how much uh, 
evidence, and he was going to blow the doors wide open on this thing. Then he gets a visit from two men in black and waters it down to the point where it wasn't even interesting. Well, then a few years later, he gets uh, he gets upset at what happened to him, and he started making noise again that he was going to go back and he was going to blow the lid off this and do another show. And then four years later, he was struck and killed by an unidentified vehicle or car in a hit-and-run thing, and people think um, he was taken out, basically. Yeah. So, But I thought it was interesting because even that ties you back to Nazi Germany. And what the heck was Hitler up to? I mean, um, you know, a lot of people say, well, it could have been. There was a, there was a UFO crash in Freiburg, Germany, in the Black Forest in 1936. And you have to wonder, did they get any technology out of that? And you know they did have they did have a technological edge on us with their jets and their rocket fighters and um, you know the V1 buzz bomb, the Vengeance one that was basically the world's first cruise missile. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was unguided, but it was exactly that a cruise missile. It was a precursor to others. Uh, the V2 first uh, ballistic missile. Um, they even had a TV guided um, bomb that they used against shipping in the Mediterranean. And you gotta wonder where some of this technology came from, but then too, you gotta you gotta kind of temper that with the fact that, you know, they weren't the ones that designed the jet engine first. That was Frank Whittle. In fact, he first drew the plans for a turbojet engine in 1928, started producing it in 1937. Now, a German engineer, Hans von Ohan or Ohain, started building a. a a uh, turbojet engine in 1935, but Frank Whittle got his operating first. And also, if you start thinking about who was getting what technology, have you guys heard about the UFO crash in Cape Girardeau, Missouri in 1941? That's Mm. interesting to look up. No, I've heard of that. Yeah, it was Cape Girardeau, Missouri, 1941, and a Reverend William Huffman from the Red Star Baptist Church was called to the scene by the sheriff, and he actually gave um, prayed over three dead or dying occupants. So, yeah, that's something to look into. And um, I just find it fascinating. This all, so you kind of got to wonder. Okay, did did these are because I've heard where. You know, you know, there, there's speculation that um, some aliens are nothing more than uh, angels or fallen angels, and their their technology is angel technology. And you have to wonder: were we both sides being helped by two different groups, or you know, did I know we had Einstein on our side, and you can't beat that. And yeah, they got the first missiles, and they got the first uh, jets in the war, and this and that, and. Thank goodness they didn't get the first A bomb, um, but it's it, it just it just makes you wonder were we helped? Even Werner von Braun, the uh, chief engineer for NASA, you know, when asked how Germany had such a technological lead during World War II, and then he was asked this in the '60s, he said we had help. He didn't say where the help came from, <laughs> but he said we had help. Yeah, they channeled. A uh, good share of what uh, the Germans got was channeled, just like we have channelers today. Uh, 
and one of them was a woman. I can't remember what her name was, but they channeled a good share of this technology. And there was a documentary producer, I wish I had the name of it now, uh, about the Vril Society and some of the other occult societies over there in Germany and how they were channeling most of this information. And uh, it's, it's just fascinating stuff. And I have some pictures. You were talking about the uh, uh, bird uh, exposition down in Antarctica. And I have some pictures that clearly show they claim they're from that. And you can, you can see part of the ship in those. Uh, clear UFO activity. Yes, and, I've uh, seen, I think I've seen some of the same pictures. I think some of them were taken by a, a Soviet ship that was down there shadowing them. Um, I wish I could speak Russian because there's a couple of good, uh, good um, documentaries I found on the Internet on Operation High Jump, but from mm-hmm. a Russian pr- perspective because they were watching it, but um, I don't speak Russian. And maybe that's not a good thing anymore, <laughs> considering how things are in the world today. But um, but yeah, I uh, and I I I wrote in a character in the second book that actually participated in Operation I Jump. Now, of course, he's an old man by the time you get to the main story. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, he was a young he was a young fighter pilot during Operation High Jump. Just had just got in the Navy. Missed out on World War Two, and you know was hot to trot for some action, and and in the book he gets it. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's all fascinating stuff, and and then you know I'm still just Ant- Antarctica fascinates me. Um, the uh, the seeming tie between the Kecksburg UFO and the Nazi Bell. I mean they they were even talking like the Nazi Bell could have been a time machine. And it makes mm-hmm. you speculate. Well, did this? It was this the bell? It disappeared in Poland when they fired it up in '44 or '45, and and it comes back, you know, ten years later in, or twenty years later in Kecksburg, Pennsylvania. Did we know it was coming back? Did we have some kind of clue? Because you got to admit that was a quick military response to that uh, UFO crash. Yeah, they did not want. I don't know. I don't think we could hustle people that fast without without them knowing ahead of time that something was going to happen. Yeah, they were tracking it, so they knew approximately where it landed. And, uh, yeah, you're right. They they just jumped on it. And uh, yeah. there have been uh, several documentaries made about that, Klecksburg operation. But I wanted to bring up, uh, uh, I can't think of her name, Hal, um, Linda Moulton Hal. Yes, I I, I love listening to her. Okay, she has a video about what they found down in Antarctica. And there's hieroglyphics all along the walls of what they found, she claims. And I'm curious whether those, uh, I think she has some of them in the video. I'm curious as to whether those would match. Uh, Larry knows about a book called Evil Fire Made to Burn. And in that book, he talks about the author. What's his name, Larry? Can't think of it. Gary Vay. Gary Vay. 
and uh, he talks about how there are hieroglyphics found in these certain places all over the world. Now they're all guarded by the military, all of them. And he himself was brought in, was he not, Larry, to uh, try and decipher some of this? I know he got in well, trouble and had to go into hiding. Yeah, uh, what he found out was a, some kind of group, a special group of rich individuals that worked under the auspices of the U.N., the United Nations, yep. actually was working that. And that they were basically like uh, mafia, if you will. And uh, so so what happened was he was brought in because he was he had written a program a computer program of how to deprogram these hieroglyphics, this ancient writing. It was it wound up being an ancient writing, Ogam or something like that. I, I've got his book. You can't find them because they they took them off the market, but I've got one. And yeah, I've got uh, one too. yeah, and he he actually uh, wrote it under the name I believe Dan Eden was the name he used, but his name is Gary Vay. He has a website called ViewZone dot com and uh it was always under attack but he's also the one that was involved in all this information about and and a lot of this came out from europe about the uh giant ufo found on uh the moon by one of the apollo missions that was a military mission uh, between the the russians and the u.s where they actually found the individual they named mona lisa And she was a hybrid, it appeared to be a hybrid pilot in one of those UFOs, still alive. And I know this sounds weird, but she was still alive because she had a suit on that was keeping her in stasis. It was keeping her alive. The suit itself was almost like a, uh, you know, a hydro type uh, uh, suit that, you know, continue your life abilities. And they brought her back and, and brought her back to to earth from from there now i don't want to go too much into the details I, i'll give it to john sometime in private but um there was an italian journalist that actually was looking into it and oddly enough Stuart, he was the one that uncovered this operation red sun that you made the movie called red star and you got in a lot of trouble i mean it was a nothing burger yeah yep uh it's uh, it's amazing uh, you know, John, I don't know if you're familiar with that video. I think I've got it up on uh, Angel Fall 923, but uh, there are I'm going to have to look at it on, the, <laughs> on Mars. Yeah, I'd love to see it. I'd love to see it. it you know, what amazes me is um, so much of this stuff put out by, by Hollywood, you know, it, it comes to pass, and it seems so strange when the movies come out, and then all of a sudden we're – right back to you know we're 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 accepting some of that stuff as fact or or it's almost like we're getting fed a little bit at a time i mean who would have thought 10 years ago that the u.s navy and the pentagon would put out pictures of ufos actual video of ufos being chased by their fighter jets i mean i would have never dreamed that was going to happen yeah no they and now here it is commonplace project yeah it's an NSA yeah. uh, acclamation project in force. It's been going on for years through the movies and whatnot. They're acclimating right. hu- humanity to accept the arrival 
And, of course, the arrival is going to be fallen, the fallen ones. And uh, But humanity will embrace it, according to Bible prophecy. They will embrace it totally when the arrival takes place. And I know you're familiar with, uh, uh, what's his name, Wanda Von Braun. And uh, he had a sidekick, Carol Rosen, and he talked about a fake arrival using very high technology. And uh, you'll find that in Project Bluebeam. If you're not familiar with Project Bluebeam, look it up. It's kind of interesting. They they killed the guy who revealed Project Bluebeam. He was dead. Uh, they First of all, didn't they take his child first, Larry, as a warning? Uh, yeah, it, yeah, his name was Serge Manast, M-O-N-A-S-T, I believe, and Serge, S-E-R-G-E. Uh, that was his name, and he was really revealing that information, and they tried to uh, take part of his family, and then they actually took him out. Yeah. Wow. What was the the other thing? Was that Red Sun you mentioned earlier? I'm jotting this stuff down. Yeah, Operation Red Sun. And I patented, I didn't even know about Operation Red Sun until I had uh, produced uh, Project Red Star. And that was about uh, an alien base up on on Mars. And you, I don't know, even know if it was alien or not. It sure looked like uh, some very advanced technology, Tesla technology, or ancient ruins of uh, pyramids. Uh, statues and uh, religious shrines. It's a it's UFO. Well, you know, I've been seeing more and more stuff from pictures from Mars lately. Of it looks like you know manufactured shapes. You know, it, the, it's not natural. You know, it, it, you're talking um, straight edges and and um, precise angles and. Um, even seen some photos. I, now, I don't know where they came from, supposedly from Phobos. I guess that's one of the Martian moons. And these things look like telegraph towers on, on the yeah. surface there. Yep. Have any either of you guys noticed it's getting harder to find things like that on Google? Um, used, <laughs> used to be I could find just about anything on Google. Now it's like it's all gone or, you know, they don't make any mention of it or Maybe they're kicking people off. I don't know. Well, the, it, the censorship is taking all forms. Uh, giants, for example. Uh, Klaus Dona is an example that Larry knows and I know. Uh, I interviewed Klaus, and uh, very, very interesting character. But he basically said that once you get a giant dug up out of the ground, a real giant, now I'm talking about the Nephilim, uh, right. The uh, you know the forerunners and uh, they disappear. Uh, yeah, I've heard they that disappear too. Disappear real quick. Yeah, Larry, go. Oh, that was John. Oh no, I just said I've I've heard I've heard those rumors too. I was just adding about I've heard that. Um, well, I've heard it's a Smithsonian, but who knows who it is? But. Yeah, you dig up giant bones and they're gone. Um, even, uh, oh, Larry, I can't, L.A. Marzulli talks about, I think it was Catalina Island. Didn't he find a giant 
um, skeleton out there or find evidence of it or photographs of it and then found photographs where it had been removed. Somebody out there <laughs> dug one up. Well, that's that's exactly true. Uh, yeah, he did. He went out there and investigated and and found a perfect portrait, uh, an old portrait of a giant skeleton that they had found. And then uh, he found that it should have been in the archives there, but it was gone. It was missing. And then the next, he took a picture of that, uh, the original photograph. So he's got it, proven that they dug up a giant, uh, you know, a dead giant and and uh, a nephilim probably. And uh, the next time he saw that portrait, though, that he went back out there, they had took a image and changed it a little bit and made it look like maybe just a real tall guy, like maybe six, five, seven foot tall. They changed yeah. things. And, and and I call it, like you said, Google, what I call it is cyber airbrushing. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> That's probably what it yeah, is. Yeah, but I, I have noticed it lately. I don't, I don't, if I'm looking for something, I've quit going to Google. I'm having to go to like DuckDuckGo or somebody else to find anything anymore. Um, and used to be, you know, you pull up Google and if you were looking for things like this, it was, you know, there was all kinds of links, but I've noticed it kind of been thinned out lately. Yeah. Well, if anything that would verify the Bible, they are removing. Right. As fast as they can remove it. Uh, this is, of course, Satan doesn't want anybody to believe what the Bible says is being true, so... It makes total sense that that they would engage in that kind of operation, particularly with the giants. And uh, now the other thing they'll do if you give, if you do find a, a what looks like a very authentic picture, somebody will come along and say, "Well, such and such a university just manufactured that; it's not true." When in reality, it is very true. And I found yeah. that when I was doing the, uh, the work on uh, Project Red Star. Uh, NASA people have come forward and said, well, we routinely airbrush out uh, flying saucers and whatnot. And as Larry knows, when I was working on Project Red Star, there were two UFOs, just as plain as day, sitting right on the ramp there on on this place I called Tythonia City. And uh, it's all there. The anti-gravity stuff has been around for years. Uh, we're kind of wandering off, though. What is the? Uh, I want you to get back to your book too, without spilling the whole store. Is to uh... okay. Well, actually, it's it's a sequel to uh, to book one. Um, the characters from book one are in book two, and the story moves 24 miles from Tallahena up here to Honubby, and um, it just goes in more detail uh like well <laughs> i don't want to give away too much but um it covers nephilim it covers uh ufos um it covers fallen angels uh the uh well i'll just give this away the the uh the relics as they're called by the characters and by uh by me um, mm-hmm. Yeah, they're Sasquatch type, but they're not actually Sasquatch. They're kind of a they're kind of a hybrid Nephilim version of the Sasquatch. And um, not only are they terrorizing the people, but they're actually 
in the second book they're kind of they've run the real sasquatch out of the valleys and stuff here um because they need to they kill the males and they and they um mate with the females to you know procreate their own version their their uh mm-hmm. their hybrid version that's got you know it's got a fallen angel fallen angel dna so that's basically what's going on. I bring in, like I said, bring in a new character. He's an elderly uh, Choctaw man who lives up here, and he, he'd been a Navy fighter pilot, and he was involved in Operation High Jump, and um, in the book he flies all the way up to his last mission in the Navy's in Vietnam when he uh, encounters something off Tiger Island off the coast of Vietnam, which is also based on a supposedly true story, UFO mm-hmm. encounter back in 1967 so i was able to have him involved in that in roswell pretty sweeping story i mean the book's not as big as the first book but there's a lot more geography covered and uh Uh i can't give i don't want to give away too much but the larry's he's read it and i think he enjoyed it and i've seen be getting a lot of positive feedback from people that have read it so um and i'm just taking them on from here i'm gonna um, we're going to keep in Oklahoma for book three and go into Hevener and we're going to look into Larry's coal mine down there and see what we can't dream up for that. And, um, it's just, it's, it's awesome to have so much material that, um, I, uh, I'm able to tie in with this book and, you know, I've told, uh, I've told everybody, I've told my wife, I've told, I've told my publisher <laughs> the best thing I ever did was use the name relics. Now, my publisher will come. Yeah, it's hard to get hits though because people aren't looking for that word when they're looking for Sasquatch books. But um, relics is was like the perfect name because it's covering more than Sasquatch and mm-hmm. um, and we're going into relics, so you know ancient relics and things like that. So it's ending up being a good choice for a title. But uh, yeah, it doesn't show up on many search engines if you're looking for a Sasquatch book though. Well, it's kind well, of a Back to the Future book what it is that's right, right yeah. <laughs> yeah and i've really enjoyed being able to uh to take the book you know do the uh back in time portions of the book you know fade back to 1947 1967 i enjoyed writing that that was uh that was a lot of fun and i'm not going to give it away but i think i'm going to take the beginning of relics three back even further so <laughs> yeah. but yeah i've really well, well, really enjoyed the trip writing these books one thing I wanted to like to comment is that really it, it really grabbed me. <clears throat> I love the word I love the word relics because that's almost like the word artifact in a way. It means old or ancient maybe, and or connections right. with the old or the ancient. And and one of the interesting things involving in this is, is uh, man, I really do like John's uh, connections with some Native American characters that are in the books and how sensitive they are and how their legends, I love the way he, he weaves their legends, you know, the Indian legends, in with the current uh, Bigfoot or Sasquatch or the fallen angel activity. Uh, and and we're, it's well known, and this is not his book particularly, but it's well known that the Native American, the Indians, if you will, which a lot of them, you know, like the Cherokees seem to have similar tribal uh, characteristics as as the uh, the, the uh, Hebrew people. You know, the Hebrews. Yes. 
and from the Middle East, and it's so interesting that those types of people seem to be much more spiritually sensitive to all that's going on around us. Well, I've always you know, I believe it's uh, I believe it's one of the uh, Lakota Sioux tribes that, or believe I'm not certain, but I think it's one of the Sioux tribes that are believed to be um, from the lost tribes of the Hebrews. That's right. <laughs> Uh, I think they are. I know it gets yeah. an awful lot of people upset, but I, when you really examine all of this, it does appear that they are the ten lost tribes, and uh, you can see it in their uh, rugs and their the way they use colors and the way they use mathematics, uh, and. Uh, it seems kind of odd. I did a interview with Larry's wife, Darnett, on called Bloodworks, and how the government is so very interested in the Native American blood type. And I've often wondered what that is about, other than the spirituality aspect of the Native Americans, and why do they have this spiritual tie? Uh, that other people don't seem to have. And when you look at the Hopi uh, prophecy rock, what do you find? Uh, We go totally materialistic. And we drop off all the spiritual aspects of it. And uh, so I've always been fascinated with that. And there's a video up on uh, Angel Fall 923, Red Elk, uh, uh, I interviewed Red Elk, and that is up there, I think, as far as I know. It hasn't been taken down. Very well, you know, fascinating I think you're hitting, the, you're hitting the nail on the head. It's like we have taken what should be our spiritual side, and, and I guess, I guess, for lack of a better word, we put religion in place of our worship. I mean, it's yes. it's amazing to me that. You can go to a church and you can pray to to a, an invisible God who created everything. His son came and died on a cross for us and was resurrected three days later. But if you say Nephilim, people will lose their minds. <laughs> oh, no, no, <laughs> angels can't come down and do this and do that. And it's like, you know, the whole book, the whole, our whole creation, everything is supernatural. It's paranormal. Yes, it is. It's, it's it's majestic, and God created it, and you're going to sit here and tell me, no? <laughs> I don't believe that because that just doesn't make sense. <laughs> well, the and Bible it, is I the find most it, paranormal book in the world. Yes. It really and, is. And somehow people have, have gotten away from that. It's like, how can you appreciate the, the true power and glory of our God if you ignore his supernatural powers and his supernatural things he's created. Um, I just don't get it, but that's yeah. me. Here's something from Coast to Coast. I brought it up. It just came out on Coast to Coast. In the first half of Wednesday's show, electrical engineer and doctor of physics Brooks Agnew shared revelations about how the Nephilim may be on Earth right now and updated some of his projects. He described the Nephilim, this is interesting, as quasi-supernatural beings 
who control the world and always try to keep factions at war with each other. These beings, he explained, establish multiple religions on the planet as a vehicle to keep the populace in conflict with each other. Their practice is for thousands of years, which continues to this day, who bestow gifts on people who give up their souls to them. Now, it sounds to me like, uh, what's your take on that and your studies on the Nephilim? Yeah, John. Oh, I believe there's a second incursion, and I believe they're still with us. They may not look like giants, um, but I believe they're with us again. I believe there's been another incursion. I think uh, I think people actually do sell their souls. Um, I've even seen, I'm not going to mention any names, but I've seen quotes from celebrities saying, yes, I sold my soul. That's how I got what I got. Um, and I believe, you know, we had we had the the flood because look what yes. man was doing to man under under the uh, rain or wrath or whatever you want to call it of the nephilim. I mean, um, we were we were about to breed out the uh, the purity of the human race, the purity of God's creation through uh, through the nephilim and. Um, yeah, I think there's been a second incursion. Now, they may not be giants. They may, it may be a uh, it may be DNA splicing now instead of the actual, you know, just taking of human women like they did back in, you know, pre-flood mm-hmm. days and the days of Noah and stuff. It may be more refined now. You know, I've been seeing where they can actually bridge DNA now and things like that. You've probably seen it too. Oh yeah. So, um, yeah, it's very possible. It, it's it's possible that people's, uh, uh, you know, our genomes being altered slowly and surely through whatever means necessary, including those that start with J or V. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I didn't know if you still had that thing going on with, <laughs> with YouTube, so I didn't want to say the words. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think they're they're back and i you know like i say i think they've done it different this time but i think they're back um you know and plus you start looking into like maybe i brought this up the last time i thought it was pretty interesting because i'd been away from the ufo um subject for so long and when i got back to it you know, things have changed since I was a kid and I read uh, Flying Saucer's Serious Business by Frank Edwards or mm-hmm. I read uh, any of um, Major Kehoe's books. And, you know, that was kind of the golden age of the Flying Saucers back then in the 60s when I started running across the pictures in the books. And, you know, I kind of slept right through the whole, uh, you know, the era of what was that movie? Uh, Communion? Was it Communion or where they were the guy was getting um he was getting abducted constantly um oh who was the guy? Larry you know uh, uh was that encounters of the third kind well no, that that was the movie the... but there was there was a Whitley Strieber wrote the book yes Whitley Strieber yes yep yeah yes. communion yeah and I, I totally, man. Well, I guess I was in the Air Force and too busy when all that was going on. But 
I totally missed that whole abduction thing, man. I started looking at that, and I was like, whoa, that, that's hey. weird. I kind of hey, go John, ahead, Larry. Uh, yeah, I wanted to pop this in there, and I don't know if you've ever seen this movie, but uh, uh, it was it was uh, Tom Horns. Uh, I guess it was his sister was abducted numerous times, and and uh, they actually had a movie called Taken. I don't know if you ever saw that. Uh, did you? No, you remember, I haven't seen you? that. Stuart, Stuart, you yeah, remember yeah. that one, don't you? In fact, I reviewed it. Because the end result is a blue-eyed, blonde-haired Aryan. And that is the end result of breeding between humans and and, uh, so-called aliens. Yeah, that was quite a series. Very popular. You know, I I saw a a movie last year, and I've only saw it once, and it was kind of hard to sit through. And it was an abduction movie. It was called The Fourth Kind, I think. Yes. Man, up in that, Alaska. Was, that was quite a wild movie. Yeah, yes, up in Alaska. Yeah. And it's, one it's, thing it's, I found interesting um, on the whole yeah. abduction thing, and I, and I read it, ran across it late while I was looking, and I don't, you know, I wasn't using the abduction. I just barely touched on the abduction thing um, in, in the second book. They have an unsuccessful attempt. So, but I ran across where people would actually speak the name of Jesus Christ, and the abduction experience would come to a stop. Yep, that's right. Have you? Have, yeah. So that so, no. that kind of throws a lot of red flags up right there. The Andreasen affair. If you haven't read it, you might want to read it. The Andreasen affair. Yep. Very, very fascinating what the uh, so-called aliens told her and uh, how she uh, escaped a lot of that through the power of the Lord. Yeah, it's too okay. bad. Uh, what is it in the Andrean what? The Andreasen affair. I can't. A-N-D-R-E-A-S-S-O-N or something like that. All right, I'll find it. Thank you. Well, you know, okay, so if we're saying and we're believing that there's fallen angels that that manipulate machines such as UFOs, well, they're not the only ones with them. So there's got to be, you know, angel technology is angel technology, whether they're fallen or not, I would think. Um, anyway, that's kind of where I go with my stuff. You know, I, I can't, you can't think that, they're all bad and they're all, you know, fallen angels. I'm, you know, to me, there's got, if there's, if fallen angels have technology, the good angels have technology, who knows what technology, you know, God created science, God created technology. It's how he uses it or how his heavenly, his creations use it um, according to the physics he designed. So I would think both sides would have, would have the technology. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, the that that's one of the questions you have to ask. What what is the ultimate goal of these entities? Now, if you go to most of it, it's Antichrist to its core. Uh, right. I don't know if you've ever read the book. Uh, uh, let's see, can't think of the name of it right now. It was written by Noah. Phoenix Rising. 
Have you ever read Phoenix Rising? No, but I'm writing it down too. <laughs> no, that You're gonna have me reading done. so much I won't get anything written. <laughs> <laughs> Phoenix Rising is a very, very important book. She uh she writes about this Indian shaman lady named Noise who was blind. And for a long time, I thought this was just fiction. But when I interviewed Red Elk, I asked him personally, do you know of a woman named Noise that this lady is writing about? Mary Summer Rain is the actually author of Phoenix Rising. And he said, oh, yes, personally, I've known her. I've known her personally. I know who she is. She died some time ago, he said. But uh, he knew, and, and uh, she openly admits she's Antichrist, openly admits it. But everything, basically, that she said was going to happen, she's focused on the United States, Babylon the Great. She's focused on us, and everything that she has said so far has come to pass with remarkable accuracy and uh, it's a very interesting book and she talks about the arrival and she talks about how they're going to have proof absolute proof that basically the bible is a bunch of fibs it's not true and that of course fits in with the uh, the warnings of Thessalonians that the arrival yeah. is going to bring with it a huge, huge deception that basically destroys Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's interesting. Hmm. So, something to uh, something to think about. There's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes, and I ultimately, of course, this whole thing is a deception. The New World Order right. is a deception, you know. So. Um, you Larry, know, got it, any it, questions for for John? Well, I was going to bring up. I I I think I'd sent John a copy of uh, Jonathan Gray. Now, Jonathan Gray has passed away last year, but Jonathan Gray was an incredible researcher that got his hands on uh, the whistleblown information. And I think I sent it to you, John, <clears throat> of a coal mine in Russia that they dug down and dug out a looked like a security box or a firebox or something and in that firebox in Russia they opened it up and it was it looked like kind of like an iPhone or or a jitterbug phone or uh, something yes, like yes, that. Yes. Yes. And I anyway, what was what, yeah, Jonathan studied that. He was going to release a video of it, but he died before he was able to do it. He actually had to flee to New Zealand because uh, the New World Order crowd was after him. But anyway, what was so interesting in it was this was a device, and and remember Ecclesiastes says nothing new under the sun. So if today I'm holding an iPhone in my hand, that verse literally says that civilizations before have had an iPhone basically in their hands. And the same stuff over and over and over through civilizations. Anyway... This, this, they couldn't figure out how to, what it was, so they shipped it to the U.S. And suddenly, when they were trying to figure it out, a next door in in the facility they were in, somebody started using different type frequencies, and it turned this thing on. 
and and it had a language they didn't understand. Well, they finally figured out the language. It was like ancient Hebrew, uh, pre-flood, and and I'm not telling anybody to believe this, but this is what John Jonathan uh, uh, Gray said, and I was in contact with him for quite a few years, and he said that this thing, when they, it actually looked worked like a phone, and it had. Uh, ways to contact people on it. It had pictures, photographs, a section of photographs that had people with vehicles that they transported themselves around it when. It also had pictures of people wearing clothes and dresses and all kind of things. And it also had a message in there. And it, the message was that it came from uh, one of the, uh, I think, the, 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 the Adamic line before the flood, and he left this. So it would be a warning to those in the future that he would never know. And basically, uh, the warning was that, that with Adam, that for generations after Adam, all the people had a glow about them, uh, some kind of a, a paranormal glow when they were born and throughout their life. But, so, but as time went by after Adam, then they began to work with... Uh, technology given unto them by probably the fallen ones and they begin to use technology to take place of all the the uh, abilities they had otherwise uh, supernatural abilities and the glow s slowly waned from the human race now that almost ties if true if true that almost ties in to today there's certain bloodlines that give you some type of ability to leans toward the supernatural or understanding of that. You know, it, it's right. almost like certain people can get it, some people can't. Well, I think if you take a look at, uh, at uh, the Lord, Jesus Christ, he's called the second Adam in the scriptures. Yes. He, so therefore, Adam, number one, probably had the same supernatural absolute powers. And we lost it all at the fall. And so Jesus comes to reestablish that linkage back. So it is fascinating stuff. I believe they have, uh, we haven't dug up probably half of the technology they had. I'm sure you are familiar with Egypt and things that look just like right. airplanes and helicopters and all that. I think it's absolutely true. I know people can't get and, their and mind around that. It all kind of kind of leans back to um, the the poo pooing of of the supernatural, you know. Yes. Um, the oh no, that didn't happen. It was this Goliath wasn't a giant. He was only six foot four, and everybody else was five foot three. <laughs> it's just it's just it's a constant drumbeat, and it makes you wonder, you know, um, anything supernatural. It, you know, if you think about it, talk about it, bring it up in most company, people think you're weird, they, you know, they they mock you, and and it's like, no, your blinders are on. You're just not seeing it, you know. And I think it's fear. All of this, I think, is, you know, it's vibrations. I think some of us are just more in tune than, than others. I'm not saying I'm in tune because it, it's funny, it's like a switch went on when I started studying this stuff again. I started noticing things, and things started happening. And I thought, mm -hmm. you know, I think it's an ability we all have. I just think you've got to turn it on, you know. And it's kind of, sometimes it can be kind of scary turning it on, because you see things, and 
experience things you don't want to talk about <laughs> or tell anybody about, but things start happening when you when you open up and um so, yeah, on I your just book, believe we go ahead. Yeah, your books. Are you going to uh, I know you're basically faction where you're using true stuff but in a fiction format. Are you going to do anything about a non-fiction series at all? Well, I would actually really love to write a couple of non-fiction books. That's that's on my uh that's on my list of things to do. Um but uh like I just kind of retired, Stuart. <laughs> and <laughs> and I'm kind of dependent on my books now, so I got to pump out a couple more books. Uh I've got a great publisher. She's been real supportive and um she's given me some wonderful advice and so I'm following her advice. I'm also starting uh, a young, a youth series of books, you know, less violence and things like that. But along the same lines, though, that are going to have, you know, like, you know, going to be appealing to ten to fourteen year olds, which are going to hey, be a lot hey easier guys. to write and quicker. Hey guys, hey guys, uh, this, this is just an idea. But Stuart, you need to get with uh, John, maybe, and. Uh, Get him a link where he can seal or seek information on your book about Danny Dougal that you never got to put out. Yeah, it's a it's a faction, and it's written for kids basically or or adults actually for that matter, and it goes into uh, uh, they get kidnapped. These four kids get kidnapped on a UFO. Uh, they went on board to examine it, and they couldn't get back out before it took off. And anyway, it's a story about where they go and what they see and what they find uh, on Mars and elsewhere. So, yeah, it's uh, it. I just never well, did anything awesome, with it. <laughs> well, what, it, it's funny. Um, the, the series for children is going to be called Shadow Chasers, and starting out with a Bigfoot story for them, you know, and uh, – mm-hmm. I was saying about going to UFOs on the second one and just kind of watered down and not as, you know, not as intense as the adult books. And, um, you know, my, my publisher says, you know, you're just going to build a fan base that way. And when they grow up, they'll want to read the other books. So I think she's right. And I hope I'm still around when they grow up. But, uh, um, <laughs> but yeah, I do. In, in answer to your question, I really do want to get to, um, some nonfiction and write on some of these mysteries and stuff. I, I'd love to do that. Um, right now, I kind of got a got a grease of wheels of what got me this far. I got, mm-hmm. you know, I really ain't that far down the road, but I'm starting to get a little momentum. So, need to build on what I'm doing right now. But yes, definitely in the future, I want to write some nonfiction. Can you uh, give us a? Well, I'm sure you. It, it's fluid at this point. Book three and book four, uh, are they going to expand into other areas? Yeah, um, I'll just go ahead and let one cat out of the bag. Uh, I'm going to, you know, I'm kind of going to investigate different cryptids. Book three, um, I'll still have a little Sasquatch in it. It's going to start with some UFO stuff, but it's going to basically... Um, our, our little gang from the first two books are going to basically have some dogman encounters while they're investigating a lost um air force pilot so 
Um, another loss. Yeah, I keep losing those pilots. <laughs> Thank God I didn't lose one when I was a crew chief. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and it's been kind of cool, too. I got um, some new characters in book two that came along. And one of them I want to he's, – he, he's based on a young man that lives here. And this guy is just great. He's 20 years old. He's a go-getter. He's got his own airplane. He uh, he works in the oil fields, and he is just a, an awesome young man. And I've kind of patterned a, a uh, character after him, and I'm going to use that character um, in uh, book three. He's, I'll just say he's the Air Force pilot everybody's looking for. So, um, yeah, I'm going to do a little dogman stuff. I really want to get down to Antarctica in book four. And if I got any more relics books in me, we'll just see where it goes after book four. <laughs> yeah, once you start a series like I did with Danny Dougal, I mean, I can go on. You can go on forever. Oh That's yeah, true. you can. But, you know, uh, here's a again from um, um, coast to coast. A British motorist was left scratching their heads when a mysterious bipedal creature that they likened to a goat man dashed across the road in front of their car. Recounting the bizarre encounter in a parenting forum, the bewildered witness explained that the incident unfolded about 2 o'clock in the morning, on, on Sunday morning, as they were driving near the community of Staviton. Uh, something crossed the road in front of us in full headlights, for about three seconds, it made a distinct impression on them. Uh, <laughs> do you believe? I, I believe we're going to see more and more and more of these very strange-looking creatures. What do you think? Yeah, I do, and I touched on that in book two as well. Um, you read book one. I don't know if you remember. Um, it was an uh, Arkansas National Guard soldier, um, Nathan mm-hmm. Park. Yes, and. Uh, he gets uh well you know he got he got a little chewed up at the end of book 1 and uh the general the delta force general henderson you know they get him out and get him to hop well he ends up joining henderson's crew and he's running into things in the middle east and uh you know like uh i well i don't want to give too much away but he runs into this one creature and um, dispatches it because it's trying to molest a, a young uh, Afghan girl or run off with her. But, you know, I explained it in there. You look at, um, like, if you look at the book of Enoch, those fallen yeah. angels didn't just mess with uh, human women. They messed with everything. And yes, I think that did. may explain a lot of these, these cryptids and things because the whole thing was, you know, the whole thing is, well, let's just breed out, you know, God's creations, let's make them our own, you know, and, and, uh, so you have to, you have to wonder, Hey, some of this, these mythological creatures, were they really byproducts of what, what the fallen angels were doing way back in Genesis? You know, I believe they were. Genesis actually. 6. So, yeah. 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 I, I think so because, uh, Greek mythology probably was not mythology. <laughs> right, probably real. And yeah, I think and if no. you look at the the little G gods, uh, Gilgamesh, and um, who was it? he? He's basically the same as like Zeus, and they're all yes. 
you know, it's like something something really was going on because they're all describing the same things, the same people, and they were having contact with them. And these are cultures that weren't in touch with each other. You know, Japan yep. had its giants. Native Americans had their giants. And um, it's it's really fascinating stuff. And, and, you know, I'm just fortunate it just makes great ammunition for novels. So, um, you know, there was uh, – I always had a pretty vivid imagination, but I always wondered, God, why didn't you give me something? Why am I interested in all this stuff? Because I can't make a living with it. <laughs> why didn't you make me interested in business? i got to be honest with you. I love the military. But the business world bored me to death. I don't know how I got through it. <laughs> yeah, I know. And what I'm you kind mean. of now that I'm kind of semi-retired. I'm like, oh man, I'm glad I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> yeah. Now I may, well, yeah, we got I may start getting minutes. hungry and wish I was. But <laughs> Larry, you got any final question? We got a minute and a half left. Well, I was just going to let people know that uh, John Vandeventer's Book one and book two are at Amazon. You can go on Amazon and search them out and purchase them uh, from Amazon on Kindle or uh, uh, paperback or hardback. And uh, and also, John, I just wanted to mention that I can't hardly wait. I'm waiting on three already. But uh, <laughs> but what, what's funny, John, is how you came to Oklahoma and then you actually saw Bigfoot. I know. <laughs> I'll never forget it either because I just I just told Monica, nah, them things don't exist, and bang, within 48 hours, something runs across in front of me. I'm like, oh, my goodness. But, uh, yes, and if I could just squeeze in real quick, Larry, thank you for plugging the books. Um, also, website, www.relicsbook.com, and there's links there to all the books in any format. If you if you'd like to purchase them, and Stuart, okay. Larry, thank you so much for having me on again. I, I really enjoy this show. Really yeah. do enjoy being a guest here. All righty. Well, thank you for coming on. We appreciate the time you've taken. I know you're busy, and uh, Larry, I appreciate you coming on too. And uh, thanks everyone for listening. Take care. Thanks again, John. We'll uh, we'll see everybody a little later on if the Lord is willing. Thank you. Yes, and prayers for Ukraine. Good night, folks.